Okay, so uh, we are on with today's daf is daf Yud Gimel and Pesachim. We are on Yud Bet Amud Bet. We are from the wide lines, one, two, three lines up from the uh, from the wide lines. Where it says Tenu Abanan Shari Shona Machal Ludim. So let's talk about the schedule of people's eating. So the first hour of the day is when the Ludim eat, and apparently the Ludim were people who were um, <coughs> not the highest class people. But they would eat from the first hour of the day, meaning 6 a.m. They're already, uh, they're already having breakfast. And uh, the thieves would eat in the second hour because they were out all night stealing. So they needed a little bit of uh, sleep in a little bit later. The third hour, again, when we're talking about hours, we're talking about third hour means from uh, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. So that's when the Yoshin, the people that don't really have to work for a living, uh, uh, they, they inherited well, so they, they can eat a little bit later. If you eat machal po'alin, from 9 to 10, that's when the uh, workers will eat. The fifth hour is the Chachamim's time to eat from 10 to 11. And shishit machal koladam. And from 11 to 12 is everyone else uh, will, will eat during that time. I guess it's brunch time. It's like Sunday brunch. I don't know. That's when they would eat. And, and in those days, typically people ate um, uh, only two meals a day. They, yeah, they didn't eat uh, three meals a day like we have today. So they would eat like a later kind of a brunch. And then like an earlier kind of a dinner, uh, as opposed to having an early breakfast and a, and a lunch in the middle of the day and a uh, dinner at the end of the day. And that's really what the, if you see, that's what the, uh, what the Shabbat meals are modeled after that, because you see that the Shabbat morning meal, like the meal that you have after Shachrit and Musaf, is sort of like a, <coughs> supposed to be like a brunch type of a meal. And then Sudash Lishid is supposed to be like a uh, dinner kind of a meal, but it's like a late lunch slash early dinner type of a meal. Um, in any case, uh, that's the that's the schedule. And Papa said, "No, it's not the sixth hour from eleven to twelve when most people eat. It's actually the fourth hour when people eat. Uh, most people eat, which is from nine to ten, which actually sounds a little bit more reasonable." It says, "You have to switch it around." It's actually that from nine to ten is when most people eat, but then from the fifth hour from ten to eleven, that's when the workers have a chance to eat because they've been they had to start working probably really really early before they even had a chance to eat anything, and then. Wait until 11 o'clock because first they learn and they, they pray, they learn, they do everything that they need to do and then at 11 o'clock they have their brunch. From then on, it's like throwing a rock into a barrel, meaning if you don't eat early enough in the morning, it's unhealthy, it's not good for you and even when you eat later, it's, it's not good. I think today there's an, uh, some agreement on that. You know, it's, a, it's not good for your metabolism and so on if you... Um, if you if you don't eat according to the proper schedule, says That's only if the person didn't eat anything in the morning. So he had a little bit in the morning, even if he didn't have his real meal until a little bit later, uh, that would be okay. And that's why many people who let's say we have shacharit uh, services on Shabbat and we end up eating late, so many people they'll have a cup of coffee in the morning or something like that. Not only for this, but also because you're not supposed to fast, and and, <coughs> and if you wait past chatzot to eat, so then it's sort of like fasting on Shabbat. In any case, fasting idea of not eating anything in the morning until... Right, they didn't believe in the intermittent fasting. Yeah. Um, just like the machloket by, by testimony that uh, we have Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir having the spread of time that is the margin of error for, for witnesses that we saw that Rabbi Meir is a little bit tighter with that margin of error and Rabbi Yehuda is a little bit uh, wider of a, a margin of error. The same machloket exists by chametz. Now, Pshita, we already know that. That's what we've been saying all the whole time. The whole daf was about that. So what's the uh, novelty here? Which to tell you that the answers that we gave, in other words, that we explained, that even though there seems to be a discrepancy because Rabbi Meir is, uh, still gives a wider window of protection 
uh, on um, on erev pesach, then he then he requires from witnesses. In other words, more than the margin of error. And Rabbi Yehuda, uh, even though his margin of error. Uh, with regard to witnesses, is not uh, not as wide as his margin of error for for chametz. So we saw that there's a discrepancy there because we said that either because he's worried about a cloudy day, right, or because uh, that chametz is masul lakol. It's everybody has to be responsible for it. So we have to make things a little bit uh, more restricted because everybody's involved. When you're dealing with uh, experts only or people who are really, really know their stuff, people are coming to testify in Betin, so you can expect something higher from them in terms, of the, uh, in terms of the precision of their reporting. But when it comes to Chametz, it's open to everyone. So meaning that this is that and don't assume that, that Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda that in our Mishnah about Chametz are telling you that there's a two-hour, uh, uh, you know, that, that you have to stop eating Chametz uh, two hours before or three hours before, uh, that this is different than what they say with Edut, and it's it, because there are two different opinions about Rabbi Meir, that in our Mishnah by Chametz, where it says that according to Rabbi Meir, you have to stop eating Chametz at 11 o'clock, um, and, and it's a, it's a one hour discrepancy. And, uh, and in the case of Rabbi Yehuda, that he says you have to stop eating at 10 o'clock, Right, so you have the uh, you have two hours ahead. That that's different than what they say in Edut because there are two different opinions about what they uh, about Rabbi Meir's position and Rabbi Huda's position. It's not true, really. Uh, there's only one position. Uh, there's only one view. And uh, and it just happens to be that there's a different application of the view because we have to be we have to make uh, we have to consider uh, a, a wider margin of error for the average person when it comes to chametz or because of a cloudy day when it comes to chametz than we would uh, in edut. In any case, that's the conclusion of uh, of that point. But Amar Rav Shimi Barashi, Rav Shimi Barashi said that Lo This is only with regard to time. The one guy says I saw this event happen at nine o'clock. One guy says I saw it happen at ten o'clock. Right? But if one person says, I saw this event happen, I saw this person kill someone before the sun rose. But if one says it was before sunrise and one says it was after sunrise, for sure one is not telling the truth. Because you can't mistake before sunrise for after sunrise. You could maybe mistake 8 o'clock for 9 o'clock a.m. if it's, you know, it was like around 8, it was a little bit before 9, uh, or even a wider margin of error, perhaps, according to Rabbi Yehuda. But you wouldn't mistake before sunrise and after sunrise. So, okay, but they're talking about they saw the sun. The sun otherwise, how could he say it was after Hanetzachama? Okay. Right, so so you say so pshita el echad omer kodem anetz. So that should be obvious, right? But el echad omer kodem anetz chama echad omer betoch anetz chama. One said it was before the sun rose, and one said it was during the sunrise. So there, even there, edutan betela. Even there, we're going to throw out the testimony. Hanam pshita. That should also be obvious. But maud detema. What would you say? Tarvayu chadam el takame vahadikamar betoch anetz chama begiluyahava kae vizarway bealma hudechaza. Because you might make an excuse and say, listen, one guy said it was before sunrise and he was accurate. The other guy said, no, it was during sunrise because he saw like the glimmer of the light starting to come and he, he thought that was the beginning of sunrise. Right, but really the sun wasn't up yet. It says even so, we don't accept that. We say that he's in it, that one of them is not telling the truth because a person can tell the difference between the light of dawn and uh, sunrise. They're not going to confuse the two, and therefore we're going to dismiss the testimony. Karmash uh, malan that we have, that we dismiss the testimony. We don't say that the one who said it was during sunrise just mistook. 
uh, you know, the light of day for sunrise, because sunrise is something very specific and has a very, um, you know, has a very precise meaning. So therefore we throw out the testimony. But that's halachav testimony, not related directly to, uh, to uh, Pesach in any way. Now, Amarav, Nachman, Amarav, halachak Rabbi Yehuda, as we know, the halachav follows Rabbi Yehuda, that we stop eating chametz at 10 a.m., 10 a.m. on the perfect day, meaning after one-third of the daylight hours have passed, we stop uh, eating chametz on Erev Pesach, right? But the question is, v'nei mamor halachak Rabbi Meir, why don't we follow Rabbi Meir and allow people to eat until 11 a.m.? Because after all, there's actually a, a Mishnah, an anonymous Mishnah. Normally, anonymous Mishnayot are, uh, have a lot of power. So uh, there's an anonymous Mishnah that supports Rabbi Meir. How so? Because it says, that It says as long as a person's allowed to eat, he can also feed. Now, what does that mean? Now, according to Rabbi Yehuda, if a person has chametz around and it's 10 a.m., they have to stop eating it, but they could still feed it to their dog. They could still sell it. They could still benefit from it, right? It does, it's not an overlap. In other no, words, no, no. the amount of time that you have to, when you have to stop eating chametz is before you have to stop benefiting from chametz, according to Rabbi Yehuda. According to Rabbi Meir, it's the same time. In other words, according to Rabbi Meir, you have another hour that you can use chametz all the way to 11 a.m. So that means during that 10 to 11 hour, you can eat chametz and you can also feed it to your dog and you can also sell it. So they agree on that. The disagreement is whether you can eat it or not. Okay, so it says, As long as you can eat it, you can feed it. So that's Rebbe Meir. Right? So why, do, since the Stam Mishnah, the Mishnah that is anonymous, supports the view of Rebbe Meir, why don't we follow Rebbe Meir? Why are we following Rebbe Yehuda? So it says, He loves Tamau. That Stam Mishnah is not uh, acceptable. Mishum de Kashyam Mutar, because there's one difficulty there. What's the difficulty? That it says Mutar. What does Mutar imply? And we're going to see coming up in the, in the next parak when this Mishnah actually appears, right? That the problem is it says, Kolzman she Mutar lechol machil. It doesn't say, Kolzman she Ochel machil. Right? That would be more correct. As long as the person can eat, he can feed it. What does that mean? As long as somebody else is allowed to eat chametz, I am allowed to feed it to my animals. Meaning to say, Rabban Gamliel's opinion. Rabban Gamliel's opinion was that the Kohanim have an extra hour that they can eat chametz uh, over everyone else. Because we're only allowed to eat chametz up to 10 a.m. But after 10 a.m. we can't eat anything. But the Kohanim are eating trumah where it's a mitzvah to eat it. He gives them an extra hour. He doesn't want them to have to throw out and burn the trumah unnecessarily. So he gives them an extra hour to be able to consume the trumah. So that's what it means. As long as the Kohanim are allowed to eat, meaning somebody, somebody Jewish is allowed to eat chametz, so machil, we can still feed our animals. That's Rabban Gamliel's position. It's actually not Rabbi Meir. It doesn't go with Rabbi Meir. So fine. So After all, Rabban Gamliel is the best of all. We should really follow him. Why? Because we usually have a principle, halacha machriya. What does that mean, halacha machriya? It means that if you have two opinions, one opinion says no, one opinion says yes, and one opinion says it depends, we usually go with the guy who says it depends. Meaning if one person says this is always prohibited, and one guy says this was always permitted, and somebody in the middle says, you know what, sometimes it's permitted, you're right, and sometimes it's prohibited, you're right. So then it's like two um, opinions on each one. Like if there are, if there are two different cases... And one rabbi says both A and B are prohibited. And one rabbi says both A and B are permitted. And somebody in the middle says, I agree with you about A and I agree with you about B. So there's two votes 
Right on each of the uh, on each of the cases. So then Then we go with the machria, and there are many cases of this in the Mishnah where you have two pin- opinions that are uh, at opposite extremes, and then you have an opinion that is somewhere in the middle. And we 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 generally follow the one in the middle. So we're, they're saying that Rabban Gamliel should be the same because what is Rabban Gamliel saying? Rabbi Rabbi Yehuda is saying nobody can eat chametz during uh, from ten a.m. to eleven a.m. on erev Pesach, and Rabbi Meir is saying everyone can eat chametz between ten a.m. and eleven a.m. And, and Rabbi Rabban Gamliel comes in and says, you know what? You're both right. Right. Rabbi Yehuda is right that an ordinary person can only eat chametz up to 10 a.m. And, Rab- and, 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 and after 10 a.m. he's not allowed. And Rabbi Meir is right that there is permission to eat chametz after 10 a.m. For the Kohanim who are eating a truma. So you're both right. So therefore we should go halacha ketivraya machriya because Rabban Gamliel ends up supporting part of Rabbi Yehuda's view and part of Rabbi Meir's view. So he has Rabbi Yehuda's support. Rabbi Yehuda doesn't support the Kohanim for that? He doesn't say it. So the, it's, up, it's in the Mishnah. Well, in the Mishnah, Rabban, well, the, the only reason why you would assume not is because in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda says you can only eat up to the 10th hour. And Rabbi Meir says you can eat, you can eat up to the 11th, uh, until 11 o'clock. And then Rabban Gamliel comes along and says, no, you can only eat Truma during, uh, uh, during the 5th hour from 10 to 11. So if Rabbi Yehuda agreed with that, so why would they be in the same Mishnah? So why doesn't Rabbi Yehuda say, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Mm. Right, so see, there must be different opinions. Otherwise, it would, right? Because otherwise, it would be they'd be saying the same thing. They said no. Rabban Gamliel is not really a machria. He doesn't count. Why? Because Tam Din of Sheikamar. He's saying his own reasoning. Meaning, Rashi explains it like this: that when do we say halacha kedivrei machria? When do we say halacha goes like the one in the middle? We say it when the two opinions mention two cases. Meaning, if Rabbi Yehuda had said explicitly. You cannot eat any chametz on Erev Pesach after 10 a.m. Not truma and not chulin. And Rabbi, Rabbi Meir had said, you can eat whatever you want on uh, Erev Pesach until 11 a.m. Both truma and chulin. And then Rabban Gamliel came along and said, I agree with Rabbi Yehuda about chulin, that you're not allowed to eat it after 10 a.m., the regular food. And I agree with Rabbi Meir about uh, Truma, that you're allowed to eat it after 10 a.m. until 11 a.m. So that would be Machriya because he, but, but because they each talked about Truma and Chulin, and, Reb, and Rabban Gamliel is coming in and taking, siding with one about Chulin and one about Truma, but they never mentioned anything about Truma and Chulin. That's the Chidush of Rabban Gamliel saying Tam de He's bring, he's the first person to bring in the idea of Truma. Nobody brought it in before. It's not like he's uh, settling an argument about Truma. They never mentioned Truma, either of them before. He's bringing in that idea. It's totally out of left field, as they say. Nobody mentioned Truma before. So that's why it's not called Alakha Kedivriya Machriya in that case. Okay, now, Vibayt uh, alternatively, Rav Damar Kihaitana. Rav was taking his support for his position that we follow Rabbi Yudah from a different Braita. Uh, which is as follows. If the 14th of Nisan falls on Shabbat, so if Erebus of Shechal Shabbat, always complicated, right? You have to destroy all the Chametz before Shabbat. You have to get rid of all the Truma before Shabbat because since you have to burn Truma and you can't burn it on Shabbat, obviously, so you're going to have to actually burn it, uh, all the leftover Truma before Shabbat, even the Torot, even the pure ones. Umishayrin, mina Torot, and you leave over from the pure Tuma, Mazon Shte Seudok, Delechol Adal Shaot. So the the key thing is that he says that you can only eat up to the fourth hour, meaning you can only eat up to 10 a.m., even the Truma, because he's saying you have to burn all the Truma from before Shabbat because the Truma that's Chametz 
you're not going to be able to burn it on Shabbat, so you have to burn it from before, but leave the mazon sh'teh leave the uh, enough for two meals for the next day, so you're going to eat it until, uh, uh, until 10 a.m., meaning even the Tumah you're only going to eat until 10 a.m. That's what he says in the Yoshua. From the grain. Yeah, I mean... Right, no, it could be grain. It's all kinds of grain and bread and stuff like that. Cake. You can make anything out of Shema. And when you give the flour to the Kohen, I don't know what he made out of it. You can make anything oh, out of it. Yeah, he made whatever. So, but it has the status of Shema. But the, the, the interesting here is that, it, just as an aside, this supports, this is against Rabbeinu Tam, because Rabbeinu Tam says that you need to say, do Sudash Lishit in the morning of Erev Pesach, Shechaliyot B'Shabbat. You have to do two Sudot. You have to eat and then take a break and then eat again to make Sudash Lishit. You see that he says only Mazon Shtei Seudot, which fits with what the Rambam says, because when the Rambam describes Erev Pesach Shechal B'Shabbat, he says that you eat only Sudash, you only eat the morning Sudash Shabbat. You don't eat a Sudash Lishit on, the, on, on that uh, type of a Shabbat. So that, this seems to support what the Rambam says, because it says you only leave over Mazon Shtei Seudot, one for Friday night, one for Shabbat morning. Anyway, Amalo, Amulo, I mean, they said... You say, cannot have matzah, you cannot have... Uh, you can't have anything. You can't have any, any bread. Very yeah, early on, that's so that's why I'm saying the Balea Tosafot allow you to double up. According to the Balea Tosafot, you can do Sudash Lishit in the morning. It's just a matter of quantity. You could, you could do, you can eat, pray early, Eat a meal at 9 a.m. and then at 11 a.m. eat again and you have Sudash Rashid according to the Balei Tosafot. But uh, the Rambam no, doesn't have that. That will be before Mincha also. Right, even before Mincha. Yeah. What? You can't, but the issue is that you can't make Hamotzi. Ah, because Hamotzi. Yeah, okay. yeah. But there are options. You, and then in the, the afternoon, if you make it. The point is, the reason, what I'm, the, the reason I'm saying this is because you see from here that they didn't think that you should do Sudash Rashid on the Shabbat. So you could come up with all kinds of solutions, but it doesn't sound like they were concerned about it. They said, why are you burning the Tumatruat? Maybe Rabbi Moshe is going to come over and he's going to eat all of it. Why do you have to burn it? Right? He, he's, he's also hungry. They already looked and they didn't find any Kohanim. That's why they have all this leftover Tumatruat and they're not going to, who's going to eat it over Shabbat? Maybe they stayed over outside the wall, meaning maybe they're not around right now on Friday night, but tomorrow morning they're going to come to the Bet Knesset and you give it to them. What's the problem? Okay, according to you, if you really want to use your imagination, maybe, maybe, maybe. So, even the truma that's tluya. Tluya means that there was some halachic problem with the truma. So, therefore, it couldn't be eaten by a kohen, but it couldn't be burnt because we don't know what the status is. That also, Shema Yavo Eliyahu. Maybe Eliyahu Navi is going to come and Vitarim, and he's going to tell you it's okay. So, I mean, how are we going to go? We don't have any such pro- We have a promise. Eliyahu Navi is not going to show up on the Erev Yom Tov, Yom Tov, Erev Shabbat, because then everyone is preparing for Yom Tov and Shabbat, they're not going to have the time for it, right? Your wife would kill you if you're getting ready for Shabbat or Yom Tov, and he said, no, I'm sorry, Eliyahu Navi came. That would be it. He's not going to ruin everyone's Shalom Bayit, so therefore he's not going to come on Erev Yom Tov, Erev Shabbat. Right, so therefore, because it's too much trouble, so therefore we don't worry about him coming on Erev Yom Tov, Erev Shabbat at the last minute and saying that you can eat this Chumah, so but we are concerned. Why should we throw out, as long as there's a possibility, meaning what they're saying, as long as there's a possibility that a Kohen could actually come and eat this Chumah, why are you burning it? Right? So, they ended up agreeing with Elazar ben Yehuda, the man of Bartuta, so what do you see from there? That he said, you burn the Chumah, all of it, even the pure Chumah before the Shabbat, because that you can't burn it on Shabbat and you can't leave it over, and it's going to be Er Pesach. And, and seemingly, they're also endorsing his view that you can only eat whatever's left over until the fourth hour, until 10 a.m., 
even Truma, which is exactly what Rabbi Yehuda says. So you see that that's supporting Rabbi Yehuda. But my love, a few Truma left, let's say by mistake. What are they going to do? They have to try to eat it. Destroy it in other ways also. Well, you can't. There's a discussion whether you're allowed. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole discussion about whether you're allowed to destroy. Whether you're allowed, if you're allowed to do biur chametz on Shabbat in general, like there's a whole issue about it. But let's leave it be for now. There's a whole problem with that. But. Um, um, let's assume they ate it. But so seemingly they endorsed even his position that you can only eat the trumah till the fourth hour. How do you know that they were endorsing his whole position? The main discussion there was about what to do with the trumah. Not how long you can eat it until er- on Erev Pesach. Maybe they agree with Rabbi Meir that you could actually eat it till 11 a.m. How do you know they agree with Rabbi Yehuda that you can only eat it until 10 a.m.? So, because, and even you see that Rabbi also agreed with Rav Nachman. So they, they left it that as a question, right? But now the question is, Ravin Baravada, Ravin Baravada said, Once upon a time, a certain person left a whole bag or, or a container of chametz with Yochanan Chakuka'a. And the mice got into it. And the chametz was like pouring out. He came to Rabbi. It was Erev Pesach. So this guy has this... Somebody guy leaves you with a huge bag of chametz right on Erev Pesach and it's pouring out all over the floor. You don't know what to do. He came to Rabbi. He said to him, wait. The first hour, wait. Wait. Third hour, wait. If he eat, getting to the fourth hour. So now it's already 9 a.m. And it, we're, we're, we're at the final countdown. He said, wait again. So then, So he said, go sell it. Now it's already the fifth hour, meaning it's already 10 a.m., past 10 a.m. So what does that show you? The fact that he said, go out and sell it, means you can't eat it. So Rabbi must have held like Rabbi Yehuda, that once, the, once 10 o'clock comes, you can't eat it anymore because I told him to sell it. So it says, my love, doesn't he mean go sell it to non-Jews because nobody can eat it anymore? And that would show that Rabbi is holding like Rabbi Yehuda that you can only eat chametz until the, uh, the fourth hour. Amar Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said, Loli Yisrael, Rabbi Meir. It could be that Rabbi was actually endorsing Rabbi Meir. It could be that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi said that you could eat chametz until 11 a.m. So why did he tell you to go sell it then? Amar If he's going to sell it to Jews, why doesn't he just eat it himself? The guy left it with him. So why does he have to go sell it if he's going to sell it to Jews? Mishum chashdat, because of chashad, because people will suspect him of being a crooked guy. Why? Let's say you have people who have collected tzedakah and they have coins that they get rusty. In those days, like the coins didn't symbolize like some imaginary gold standard in the uh, Federal Reserve. Right, the, you know the the uh, now the you know back then the coins were metal. They were what they you know they were the value that they were. So if they got rusty, they would get ruined. So let's say you didn't have enough aniim coming around. You have enough poor people coming around. What are you going to do with this money that you collected if the if the money rusts? So what would they do? Basically, they would switch out the money with new money. They would they would take the let's say they had a hundred hundred coins of uh, of tzedakah. So somebody would take those hundred coins, replace them with their own coins. And take those hundred coins as, as their own. So that way, they, you know, they didn't take money from the tzedakah, but they switched it so that the tzedakah wouldn't lose and they would use the coins before they got ruined. 
Right? So it says, but what you do is Borotin Lachirim. You have to do that with somebody else. Ven Borotin Latzman. The Gabaim are not allowed to do that with their own money. Meaning, if they want to come and switch the coins that are rusty with their own money, take the rusty coins and put their own money in, it doesn't look right because people will start saying, oh, I see that guy is taking out of the thing and he's, he's, it's shady, it looks bad. Right? So the Gabaitam Choish and the Maniim Lechalek, Mochin Lachirim, Ven Mochin Latzman. Same thing if you have uh, people that are running like a food bank. And the food starts to get bad. Don't let the people who are running the food bank buy the food. Even though you know you have to sell it before it gets ruined and take the money and buy fresh food for the poor people. But not enough poor people came. The food's going to go bad. Don't give it to the people who are actually uh, the gabaim that are in charge. Because people will say, oh, you know, that guy's getting a cheap deal. He comes in and he pays for the food. Da, 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 he's taking advantage. No, sell it to some, you, you have to sell it, but sell it to somebody else. That somebody else will give the money and you buy new food for the poor. Now, what's the point? And then Mishum Shnemar Vitem Nikim Hashem Yisrael, like the pasuk says, very well known pasuk. Uh, when when uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the Bnei Gad and Neiruven that they have to do the right thing, be clean, may Hashem Om Yisrael, meaning do everything. Not only that Hashem knows that you did right, but make sure people don't suspect you. It's you should avoid, thing. yeah, uh, avoid suspicion from people. Uh, well, yeah, it's like it's like that, but yeah, avoid suspicion. Chashad is a little bit different than Maratayin because Maratayin has specific halachot that the rabbis made gzerot about Maratayin, and you can't. Extend them to everything that you think is maritayin. Like, uh, but the uh, chashad is more of a general concern. Don't do things people are going to talk about you and things like that. Now, what's the point? That therefore, Rabbi told the guy, since you were in charge of watching this guy's bag of chametz, if you take it for yourself and eat it, true, you could take it for yourself and eat it maybe, but if you do that, then people are going to say, oh, this, guy's a, this guy is really a, a not a very good friend, not very trustworthy, he ate it himself, right? So, uh, so therefore, uh, he told him to go sell it to someone else, but maybe really Rabbi says that you can eat chametz until the 11th. Until 11 a.m., not till 10 a.m. How do you know that he holds 10 a.m. like Rabbi Yehuda? So, And remember, Rabbi Yosef kind of lost his memory in his uh, older age for, whatever, for health reasons. And a lot of times he forgot things that he said earlier on. Right? You, Rabbi Yosef, told us explicitly about the story that Rabbi, that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi said, go sell it to non-Jews. In other words, you told us that, what, that Rabbi was saying, you can't eat it, you have to sell it to non-Jews, not Jews. Right? So therefore, that you told us that Rabbi was endorsing Rabbi Yehuda's view that you can only eat chametz and Erev Pesach until 10 a.m. the way that we do. Right? Now, um, Rav Yosef came, and you see that even though Rav Yosef lost his memory, his mind was still sharp because he's like engaging in all of this uh, discussion. Amar Yosef, Rav Yosef said, "Keman as lahashmata the Rabbi." You know, you know what Rabbi was following in this teaching that he told the guy to go sell it. He was following Rabban Shimon Gamliel. He was following the principle of Rabban Shimon Gamliel. The time we learned in the Mishnah, and this Mishnah deals with the person who is uh, entrusted with certain items, and it's in Baba Matziah. And, uh, and they start to get ruined, okay? And the concern is, you are, I give you something to watch and you see that it's getting ruined. So what should you do with it? I go away on a trip and you have my stuff and it's getting ruined. And are you just supposed to leave it because I left it with you and assume that I expect it to depreciate and get ruined? I mean, what's going to happen? So, you give fruit to your friend. Even if it looks like they're wasting away, they're getting ruined. Okay, don't touch them. Because the person puts you in charge of uh, watching his stuff and, and you're not allowed to, to handle it in any way or to, to use it in any way or sell it. However, you should go to the Betin. 
tell them about the situation and sell it through the betin. The reason you do it in the betin is obviously to make sure everything is on the up and up and people see that it's you know being done appropriately and all that. So nobody suspects you that you went and you sold this guy's thing. You made more money. You pocketed extra money. You gave him whatever. It'll look bad. So you go to the betin, but because the guy's stuff is uh, being ruined. So in the same way, Rabbi told this person, oh, this chametz is going to be ruined, quote unquote. Not literally physically ruined, but once Pesach begin, once the time of the Isur chametz, the prohibition of chametz begins, so now the chametz becomes prohibited, and it's going to be chametz shavar alava Pesach, and the guy who entrusted him with the chametz is going to lose out anyway. So he's saving the guy by going and selling to a non-Jew before Pesach. He's saving it. Right? So it's the same thing as what Rabban Shemar Gabriel says. Amale Abaya Abay said to him, "Velavit Marla, didn't we say about this? Amar Abba Barachanah Rabbi Yochanan Lo Shanu Ella. Didn't we learn that we only said this? Ella Bechdei Chesronan. That's only when they are depreciating according to the normal way. Aval Yoter Mikdei Chesronan, Mocham BeBedin, VeKol Sheken Achad. Hapesidei LeGamrei. That you don't even have to go into the machloket between Rabban Shemar Magamliel and the Tanakama because Rabbi Yosef was saying that this action of Rabbi that he told the person to go sell the chametz and say the other guy's chametz by selling it last minute, that was only according to Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. But the Chachamim would disagree. They say you're not allowed to sell somebody else's stuff if you're entrusted with it. But Abaye said that's not true. That's, uh, that machloket between Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel and the Chachamim was only where the, depre- the rate of depreciation of the item was the normal rate of depreciation. So the Chachamim said, well, you know, the guy gave it to you and he expects it to depreciate at a normal rate. And if he doesn't come get it, then you shouldn't go on your own and sell it because you don't know what his reasons are and maybe he wants whatever. The Rabban Gamliel says, no, since it's depreciating, you have the right to go sell it now to save the guy. Right, but where it's depreciating at an accelerated rate, like in this case, that if you don't sell it right now, it's going to become worth zero because the chametz is going to end up being asur because it's the chametz lava pesach. So then, yeah, uh, for sure, you can go and save the guy because it's going to come out with zero. So that's like an accelerated rate of depreciation that you're really saving the person. Uh, it's like zachin adam shelo befanav. It's like you're saving the person from the loss, from a, a more significant loss than uh, than he would ever want. Because there's no question that the guy's not going to want zero if he entrusted it to you. He can't get back for whatever reason. He doesn't want zero. Now Gemara goes on. Now we we said that there were two chalot that they used to place on top of the itztaba, on top of this area, this outside seating area. Um, for people to see. And when they would take one away, that meant you couldn't eat chametz anymore. When they would take a second one away, that meant you had to burn chametz. Tanei Tanaka made Rav Yehuda al gava itztaba. One Tana recited this Mishnah in front of Rav Yehuda and said, al gava itztaba, meaning on the seat of the chairs outside, because there was like a seating area outside on the Haravai. What is he trying to do? Why do you put him on the chair? Is he trying to hide them? You're supposed to be able to see them so that people could see that when the first challah was taken away, that was a signal to stop eating. So, tini al-gag You have one letter wrong. Your bet and your gimel are confused. It's supposed to be al-gag on the top because there was, a, there was a, a roof on top. Put it up there so everyone can see. When they see the first challah is down, oh, we can't eat the chametz anymore. That was the way that they signaled it. There was a double area of seating on the Harabayit, meaning there was a row and then another row behind it of, uh, of seating around the outside of the Harabayit. And, um, and it says, uh, uh, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer, 
istavanit haita nikrat, stavim istav. It was called istavanit, which meant uh, one sort of like area of. Usually the um, stav is like uh, was also an area where the merchants sat in the shuk, but it means like one seating area within another one. They had like two rows of seating uh, there, and there's all different opinions about exactly what it looked like. But the point is that um, this area had a roof over it, and that's where they would put these chalot for the people to see. Now, the question is, where did they get chalot toda pisulot? Because it says in the Mishnah, they would take two loaves that were pasul from a korban toda and put them up there. So the question is, why do they put uh, why do they put lachmei toda that are pasul bread of the korban toda that are pasul? Amar Rabbi Chanina mitoch sheyum merubot nefsalot belina because there were too many they ended up being left over from the previous day. Detanim because we learned in a brayta en mavin toda bechagam matzot mipne chametz sheba. You're not allowed to bring lachmei. You're not allowed to bring korban toda on erev pesach or on pesach rather. Why? Because you're not allowed on erev pesach either. But I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Right? You're not right? you're not allowed to bring a, a korban toda on pesach because it has Chametz, we learned about it, it, has 40 loaves, right? 30 of them are matzah. One, you know, 10 of them are chametz. We learned about it when we learned Masachet Menachot. So you can't bring a korban toda on Pesach because you would have to bring chametz, right? So that should be obvious. Pshita. But Amar Avada Barava, Achab Yudalit This is talking about even on Erev Pesach. Ve'kasavar envin kodashim beta pesul. There's a rule, we don't bring kodashim lebeta pesul, meaning we don't bring a korban that we know we won't be able to finish it's time so let's say it's like Erev Yom Kippur and you want to bring a korban shlamim you can't why because a korban shlamim is two days eating right it's uh, it's shnei amim v'layla echad you're supposed to get two days and one night in between you know you're not going to be able to eat it that night because it's Pes- it's uh, Yom Kippur you know that tomorrow is Yom Kippur also you're, you're, so you're cutting off the time of eating it, where you're allowed to eat it. I'm just giving that as an example. Here, shlamim is a korban that you eat. It does anything. You can bring it for any reason. Okay? So the so it's just one that people would typically give as a nedir because they wanted to have a barbecue so they, or they want to celebrate something. So they bring korban shlamim. Because since the timeline has to be full, we don't want to cut the timeline okay. of the korban. Since the time, meaning since the, you're cutting it on purpose. So a korban toda, you could bring a korban toda in the morning of Erev Pesach and say, I'll eat it during the morning. What's, why do I have to, uh, why, why do I have to wait until tonight? I know that I can't eat chametz after 10 a.m., so I'll eat it right now. No, since it has a certain timeline that it's supposed to be allowed and you're cutting it on purpose by doing it, you're not allowed to do that, right? So therefore, everyone would rush to bring their korban toda. People would come to the Beit HaMikdash for Pesach. So any korbanot that they had that were outstanding, they wanted to bring them while they were there. Right, you know, the, the, because how many times you go to Jerusalem? Not that often, so they wanted to bring that. Right, so the day before, on thirteenth of Nisan, everyone's bringing the korban toda. There's so many, nobody can finish all the korban. To- Imagine every time there's says birkat gomel, they brought a korban toda. Okay. Can't you imagine how many they accumulated all these korban toda? Now they're going to have to. Uh, now they're going to have to uh, have too much bread. So what happened? There were always ones that were psulot the next day because since they couldn't bring on the fourteenth, they had to bring on the thirteenth. So they were nifsalot belina. They were left overnight, and being left overnight, since the korban toda is only yom velayla, you're only allowed to. It's only a one day korban. You bring the korban, and that day and night you're allowed to eat it. So the people who brought it on the day before the day before Pesach, meaning the thirteenth of Nisan, so they. That night was the deadline for eating it. They couldn't finish it. So by the next morning, it was pasul. So they put two of these uh, on top as a symbol for when the, when the people had to stop eating chametz. Okay, Mishum Rabbi Anayamru. In the name of Rabbi Anay, they said 
Kishirote, oh, I'm sorry, I missed. I missed. Vichulei alma bishlosha asar maitilu. And everyone brought in the thirteenth. I explained this already, really. Mitoch shenu milbot nifsopalina because there were so many, they ended up becoming pasul. Mishum Rabbi Yanai amru kishirote. They weren't pasul. It wasn't that they were actually pasul. These uh, these chalot that they put on top of the roof to show everyone when to stop eating chametz. Vela amai kolo pasulot. So then why did they say pasulot? Shelon ishchata leyena zevach. Because they never had the korban offered with them. In other words, they were set aside to be a korban toda. They never actually got to, uh, to be fulfilled in that designation because the, the korban was never brought. Okay? Uh, so then it says, okay, so, so then why didn't they do it? Because they lost the korban. Okay, so bring another one. Because since he designated the bread and the korban to die, you can't switch them anymore. If you lose the bread of a korban to die, you can always substitute. But once you lose the animal, you can't bring another animal to match with the bread. In other words, because the bread is is secondary to the korban. So if the korban gets lost, so then you have to also bring new bread if you want to bring a new korban. The point is, according to him, it wasn't that they left it overnight. It was that something else happened that uh, this, these lachmei toda never fulfilled their designation at all. And that's why they were called psulot, because they never fulfilled their designation at all. Tosfot says because he thought it was a difficult thing to claim that they brought so many korban toda that people didn't have time to eat them. So they'll eat them. Like, why, why would that be such a problem? But the idea that with all those korbanot toda going around, somebody would lose theirs or misplace it or something, that seemed more reasonable. So if that's true, that you have lachmei toda that never actually became lachmei toda because they weren't paired with the korban, the korban wasn't offered, so then why don't they just redeem them from money. Because after all, until the shechita of the korban, the lachmei toda don't actually become holy that you can't redeem them anymore. So just redeem them. It must be that they slaughtered the korban and the blood spilled. And that's why they, became, they were not, not valid. Because he said two things that permit one another um, can be offered one without the other. Detanias, it says in Abraita, when they would bring, this was the only time there was ever a communal korban shlamim, meaning a communal korban that the kohanim ate the meat like a korban shlamim was for shavuot. Okay? What would happen? They had lachmet, they had the shteyalechem, uh, what was called the shteyalechem, the two loaves that were brought together with this korban of shavuot. So it says like this, ketzad, how does it work? Shechatan lishman. If they slaughtered the korban shlamim, uh, the korbanot shlamim of of shavuot properly, vizarag the banishman, and then they threw the blood properly, so kidesh alechem, so that that would make the bread now sanctified. Shechatan shilolishman vizarag shilolishman. If the the slaughtering and the throwing of the blood was done shilolishman with improper intention, so then it doesn't. Work. Then what would happen is that in that case. Um, the bread doesn't become sanctified but Rabbi says the worst case is where it's in the middle that you did the shechita properly so that gives a certain level of kiddushah to the bread but then you didn't throw the blood on the altar so it doesn't get the full kiddushah so now they can't even eat it so it becomes holy but it's not holy it's not enough 
Okay, and Rabbi, so that would, according to him, according to that view, we could say that's what happened. That because there was so much craziness going on in the Beit Hamikdash on the on the day before Erev Pesach, with everyone trying to bring korban toda, inevitably there would be some lachme toda that were not proper. Even though this is using the example of Shavuot, it really applies to all lachme toda. Would be a situation where the the shechita was done correctly, but the zrika wasn't done correctly, and therefore the bread is in a limbo state. You can't really redeem it, but you can't eat it, and therefore they would leave something like that. Up on the on the roof of the Beit Hamikdash as their signaling of when to stop eating chametz. That's what it's talking about. Now, then it would just not, then it wouldn't become holy at all. The bread. It's talking about it has to become holy to the level that you can't redeem it anymore. So something that is doesn't. So then it wouldn't be. Then the bread wouldn't become holy at all. Right. right. Meaning it would be holy at what's called kedushat damim. Meaning the the value is holy, but you could still redeem it. Only once a good shechita is done, now you can't okay. redeem it anymore, okay. right? So now filo. So that. So but then Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, Omer leolam enokadosh alechem ad shishchodesh man vizok tamadish man. No, it doesn't become holy at all until you do shechita and you do zrika. So according to him, there wouldn't be a case where the bread becomes in limbo. There wouldn't be. Either it will be holy or it won't be holy, according to Rabbi Shimon ben Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon. There will never be a case of of something in the middle. So it says, no, even there, because if they received the blood, and then it fell on the ground. And Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon holds like his father, Rabbi Shimon, who says, anything ready to be thrown is like it was thrown on the altar already. In other words, according to, if, if, even according to him, if you have the, uh, if you if you receive the blood in a cup, it's enough to sanctify the bread, even though it's not considered enough to have the bread eaten unless he actually throws it on the altar. So that's why he can have an intermediate stage as well. Rabbi's intermediate stages, they didn't throw the blood at all. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon will say, even if they received the blood, they didn't throw it yet, and then it's spilled. Also will say that, uh, that it is... Um, that the bread is holy enough that you can't redeem it, but not holy enough that you're allowed to eat it. So that's what they called pasul. Okay? Now, now, Tanad, Mishum Rabbi Elazar, Amru, Kshirot Ayu, Kol Zvan Shemunachot, Kol Am Ochlin, Itlachad Men Tolin, Velochlin, Velosofin, Itlushtein, Itchukasofit. So again, that is in, in accordance with Rabbi Elazar. They said that these, these Lachmei Toda that they put, they weren't pasul. They were actually kasher. But the only thing was that they were used as a signal. When they would remove one, that meant you had to stop eating chametz. And when they would remove the second one, that meant that you had to start burning the chametz. So interestingly, that you know, interesting that they didn't want to say that they had, that they were actually psulot. They just meant that they were not able to be redeemed and not able to be used. They didn't mean that they were pasul. Okay. One last point. Very interesting. They had two cows plowing on Harazetim. Yeah. So that when the one cow went to retire for the day, that was at 10 a.m., that was an indication not to eat chametz anymore. When the second cow went back the, uh, and stopped plowing, that meant that you had to, they had to burn the chametz. So they used that also as another signal, according to Abba Shaul. That was another signal that they had to let the people know because it was hard for the people to tell what time it was, right? So in other words, a way to summarize this is they could eat chametz until the cows came home. <laughs> you know? Like they say, you could do it until the cows came home. It's very interesting. That must be